Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10am right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then, then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God and they're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So, so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. Uh, not long ago, and uh, he's going to come and have a chat to us, and I'm sure he'll be a great addition to the church. Uh, let's pray. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we just pray that my words and our thoughts will be acceptable in your sight. Amen. The text, the uh, Bible reading this morning, this thing keeps moving, is Luke chapter 11, continuing on with uh, Aaron's uh, teachings in Luke. So chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Which read, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he asks. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? May the Lord bless to us that reading from his word. Right, so praying like Jesus, Luke 11, 1 to 13. A courier at a photo lab was leaving the building one day when his pager went off. 
The message instructed him to pick up a package at an unfamiliar company with a 12-syllable tongue-twisting name. The messenger looked skyward, sighed and said, God, where am I supposed to go? Just then the pager beeped again, this time with the client's address. A man nearby witnessing this scene raised his arms to the heavens and cried, why don't you ever answer me like that, God? All of us who are Christians have struggled with the problem of seemingly unanswered prayer. In fact, that problem can, be, can discourage us so much that we start thinking, what's the use? And we may even stop praying altogether. We hear stories of how God answered prayers for others, but for us it just does not seem to happen. Sometimes we may try again, but we're just like those little boys who would ring the doorbell and then run away. We don't stand around long enough to find out if God is home or if he's going to open the door and answer our request. Most of us can't imagine what it would have been like to walk and talk with Jesus physically as he made his way across the Holy Land. If we could have been there, we would have seen him touch the sick. We would have been astounded as he cast out demons. We would have been amazed as he walked across the waves of a stormy sea. We surely would have been inspired as we heard him preach and teach and then been mesmerised as he explained the meanings of his teachings to the smaller group of his disciples. Imagine what it would have been like to ask him whatever question came into your mind. When the disciples saw Jesus perform miracles and teach, they didn't clamour, Lord, teach us to teach like you, or Lord, teach us to do that particular miracle. Instead, what captured their attention was hearing him pray. In verse 1, he was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. So Jesus is responding to this request by an unnamed disciple in 11, verse 1. In 11, 2 to 4, he gives us the pattern for prayer. We are to pray to the Father about his concerns and we are to pray about our family's needs. In verses 5 to 13, Jesus continues his instruction by showing us how we should approach God in prayer. This morning, we hope to discover that Jesus not only encourages us to pray, but, ins but insists on us praying shamelessly, persistently and expectantly. In verses 5 to 8, as we have seen, Jesus told his disciples a parable about a man going to his friend at midnight and asking, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Now midnight is not a particularly good time to go asking for bread. 
but having nothing to set before a guest, regardless of the time, was unthinkable for a host in Jesus' day. The friend of the man refuses to help because everyone in his house is asleep. The cat's been put out and everyone is sound asleep. Jesus said, though he will not get up and give him anything just because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Jesus told this parable to call Christians to shamelessly and boldly ask God the Father to help them in times of need. An important difference, however, is that God the Father is not answering from behind a locked door. Do not bother me, but saying, ask, seek, knock. If you truly need God, boldly come before him in prayer and shamelessly ask him for what you need. In verse 9, Jesus told his disciples, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Jesus is telling us to pray persistently. The exciting aspect of this verse is that the three verbs, ask, seek and knock, are all indicating a continual habit. Literally, the verse reads, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Do not be content to ask once and then move on. Jesus says that we are to continually and persistently bring our prayers to our Father. If we have trouble understanding what persistence looks like, just go to any supermarket and watch a child asking his or her parents, can I have that lolly, please, please? That is persistence. In verse 10, Jesus tells his disciples, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Jesus is telling Christians, you and I, to pray expecting, expectantly in verses 11 and 12, expecting to receive an answer. Jesus asks a rhetorical question to indicate that we serve a good God who is a loving heavenly father. He asks, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, Will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? The obvious answer is that only a wicked father would do something as mean as give a snake to a child who asks for a fish or a scorpion instead of an egg. Any father who did such things would be totally evil. Jesus then says in verse 13, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Did you see what Jesus did in his response? 
His hearers would have correctly thought only an evil father would give those bad gifts. Jesus then tells them that they are evil, yet they give good gifts to their children. Jesus is highlighting the ability of all humans to show love, even though they are dead in their trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1. And by nature, children of wrath, Ephesians 2.3. Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. If humans who are spiritually dead, which is the lesser, and are able to give good gifts to their children, then how much more is God, who is the epitome of spiritual life, the greater, able to give good gifts to his children. When you come before the King of Kings, you need some coaching from the Holy Spirit about how to do it correctly. Some may think that being that because God is a sovereign and holy God, perhaps we shouldn't bother him with our petty needs. In fact, I knew a woman some years ago who was a Christian telling some friends about a new house that she was wanting to buy. Her friend said, why don't you pray about it and ask God? And she replied, oh no, I couldn't bother God with something that big. Perhaps, like her, we come apologetically and timidly, afraid to let him know what is really on our mind. Maybe once we've let our needs be known, we should back off and not bother God again. Jesus shows us how to approach God, to receive the things we need as we seek to do his will. Approach God with bold persistence and expectancy, knowing that as a loving father, he will provide for our spiritual good. The instructions of chapter 11, verses 5 to 11, assumes the foundational truth that we must be children of God through the new birth before we can address God as Father and approach him with our needs. We must be committed to seeking first his kingdom and his glory so that our prayers are properly motivated and directed. Our prayers for our needs are not just for the purpose of making us happy, but for the overall aim of seeing the Father's name lifted high and his kingdom brought about on this earth. The example which our Lord gives is a rather humorous one when you try to visualise it. One man has an unexpected guest arrive at his home and he is without bread to give him. Even though it is midnight, he goes to the house of his friend to ask to borrow some bread. His friend is already in bed, perhaps in the same bed with his children. There may even be animals in the room, as there often was and still is in some parts of the world. The friend in bed would have quickly given the bread if it were not so late and if it would not disturb the whole house. But even though the man in bed protests, the man in need, boldly, the the text literally says that he shamelessly persisted, which prompted his friend to get up, open the door and give him what he was seeking, the bread 
for which he was asked. If this man's request was granted due to his persistence, even though it was most inconvenient, then perhaps persistence in seeking what one truly needs will pay off. The next verses simply apply the lesson which the story has taught. He, by persistently knocking, had the door opened to him. He, by boldly asking, got what he asked for. He sought and he found what he was seeking. So too with the disciple, us, in our prayers. Consistent, persistent prayer, daily prayer, is to be motivated by the assurance that if a friend will give what is sought, even if inconvenient, then God will surely answer our petitions. In the first story, Jesus uses the example of a friend who gave his fellow friend what he wanted because of his persistence. In the second story, Jesus leaves the image of a friend and moves to that of a father. If friends can be expected to give us what we ask for when we persist, what can one expect of a father? better yet, of our heavenly Father. Jesus instructed his disciples to pray to God as their Father. He now picks up on the theme of God as Father in his second illustration. Earthly fathers love their children and delight in in doing and giving good gifts to them. Human fathers do not give their children bad things when they have asked for something good. But a little differently, earthly fathers do not give their children gifts which will harm them when they are asking for those things which will help them. Fish and eggs are both helpful. They strengthen the physical body, while snakes and scorpions are both harmful to the physical body. God, as a heavenly father, does not give us those things which will be harmful to us when we have asked for those things which are beneficial to us. Too often, at least in my own experience, I have found myself asking God for snakes and scorpions rather than for fish and eggs. I discover that I am inclined toward things which are detrimental to my spiritual life. In such cases, I may ask for a snake, but God gives me a fish. I may wish for a scorpion, but God gives me eggs. If God does not give us evil gifts when we ask for the good, he does give us good gifts even when we seek those which are harmful to us. Because God is a good God, a loving Father, he will not only be expected to answer our petitions, but to do so in a way that is for our highest good. From our Lord's first story, we learn that God answers our prayers. From the second, we learn that his answers are always good ones. The highest good which God gives to his disciples, his children, who petition him in prayer, is summed up in the gift of the Holy Spirit. What better gift could our Father give to his disciples? And we know from the first chapters of the book of Acts that the Spirit is God, the Father's gift to his church in answer to their prayers. As we seek to conclude our study, let us return to the tension of this text, 
mentioned at the beginning of this message. Why, if this prayer is a pattern prayer, do we never find it as a prayer of any of the disciples, either in the Gospels or in the Epistles? I believe that there are several possible explanations. One of which is that the prayer may have been intended as a prayer to be repeated. It may not have been a prayer intended to be repeated. One of my friends has suggested if the prayer was to be recited, Jesus would have said, when you pray, repeat, rather than when you pray, say. I cannot minimise the collective nature of this prayer. While the one disciple asked Jesus to teach, he asked him to teach the disciples as a group, teach us to pray, rather than to teach him as an individual. The coming of the kingdom of God, the provision of daily needs and the forgiveness of sins are something for which all saints can pray together daily. As I look at our text as a whole, I learn something very important. The Lord's Prayer is only a vain repetition if we do not understand it or if we repeat it without meaning it. The Lord's Prayer is not the complete word on prayer, but it does inform us as to the meat and potatoes of much of our prayer life, indeed for our daily prayer life. Our Lord, in giving the disciples this prayer and in the words which accompany it, is telling us that this prayer should be constantly on our lips. There are no excuses for not praying for these things, whether in these precise words or not. Intercession is part of faith's training school. There, our friendship with men and with God is tested. There it is seen whether our friendship with the needy is so real that we will take time and sacrifice our rest. We will go even at midnight and not cease until we have obtained for them what they need. There it is seen whether my friendship with God is so clear that I can depend on him. Not to turn away and therefore Pray on until he gives an answer. Also, the idea of persistence is reinforced by the increasing intensity of the words ask, seek and knock. Seeking is stronger than asking. Knocking is stronger than seeking. Although the word isn't used there, the word knocking relates back to the story of the friend at midnight banging on his neighbour's door until the guy gets out of bread and gives him what he needs. The most fatal thing in the Christian life is to be content with passing desires. If we really want to be children of God, if we really want to know him and walk with him and experience those boundless blessings which he has to offer us, we must persist. Persist in asking him for them day by day. We have to feel this hunger and thirst for righteousness and then we shall be filled. And that does not mean that we are filled once and for all. We go on hungering and thirsting and need to be filled daily.
if we come to realise that our request is not in accord with God's will, or if we get a distinct sense from God that we should cease praying, then we should not continue to pray for that particular need. But otherwise, we should keep asking, keep seeking and keep knocking until God answers. We all have requests. We've been seeking an answer to our prayers, some of us for years, some maybe for what may seem like years, and some for only a short time. However, we must ask ourselves, is this request in God's will and does it extend his kingdom? Will the answer to these requests be for God's glory and the furtherance of his kingdom? But I believe that like a friend at midnight, our job is to keep knocking on behalf of our needy friends until we obtain from God what they need. Approach God with trust as his friend as his child, knowing that it is for your spiritual good the Father will give it. Jesus also seems to be answering a silent objection as well. If God is like the groggy, unwilling God, unwilling neighbour at midnight, then I'm not so sure that I would want to bug him. Jesus changes the picture to a loving Father who meets the needs of his children, then concludes how much more the Heavenly Father will meet the needs of his children. His aim is to encourage us to come to God as our loving Father, being assured that he cares for us. Even though we are evil by nature, note how Jesus assumes that men are evil, even when they are acting with love toward their children. We would never treat our children in this manner. The argument is from the lesser to the greater. As Kelvin expresses it, if the little drops produce such an amount of beneficence, what ought we to expect from the inexhaustible ocean? If sinless men so love their children and provide for their needs, how much more will God? And Jesus drives home the point. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who seek him? In the parallel in Matthew 7:11. Jesus is more general in saying that God will give what is good to those who ask him. <clears throat> but here he specifies the Holy Spirit, who, being God, is the greatest good we can imagine. While all who truly believe in Christ receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, which is Romans 8, 9, we all need to know more and more of the Spirit's fullness in our daily walk, whatever our needs. Our greatest need is to be filled continually with God's Spirit. So Jesus instructs us to come as needy children and ask the Father to pour out his Spirit upon us. Jesus, specifying the Holy Spirit, shows that he is not promising to meet our every whim for material things or for earthly benefits. But he is promising that if something is for our spiritual good and we come as trusting children and ask the loving Father, he will give it to us. He may delay the blessing because he knows that I'm not ready to receive it yet. He may have other purposes for training me in my faith and prayer life that require his withholding the request for the present time. He may know what I do not know 
that my request is not for my ultimate good. And so he will deny my request because he has something better for me. But Jesus is teaching that we should approach God with trust as a child, as a child would come to a loving father. And if my request for my spiritual, if my request is for my spiritual good, the father will give it to me. So verse 13 brings us back full circle to where Jesus' instruction on prayer began, that we must know God as our heavenly father. One of Satan's original ploys was to get Eve to doubt that God is good. God's commandment was keeping something good from her. He still uses that ploy to cause Christians to fall and to keep unbelievers from God. If your God is so good, why does he allow such pain and suffering in the world? A child in a war-torn land to get his legs blown off by a landmine. Why does a good God allow a sweet little toddler to die a slow, painful death from cancer? Why does a good God allow his servants who are dedicated to doing his work to be killed by evil men on the mission field? The difficult questions could go on forever and God's heart is grieved by each one. The Bible does not gloss over these problems or pretend that they do not exist. The book of Job shows us that a partial answer centres on our finiteness and sinfulness and God's infinite holiness. We as sinful creatures dare not challenge the almighty holy God. He is perfectly just to allow the most righteous man on the earth to suffer terrible things because not even that man had a claim on God. Furthermore, Scripture shows that the final resolution to the problem of suffering and evil lies in eternity, not in this life, when God will reward the righteous and punish the wicked. A dad with a three-year-old son had gone through the bedtime routine of reading a story, listening to his prayers, answering a dozen questions, giving him a hug and saying good night four or five times before slipping out of the room. Finally, after a long, hard day, he could relax. He sat down in his easy chair and it was quiet for about five minutes before he heard, Daddy, can I have a drink of water? He said, no, son, be quiet and go to sleep. It was quiet for a couple more minutes before, louder than before, he heard, Daddy, can I have a drink of water? Son, I said to be quiet and go to sleep. There was silence again, but it didn't last long. Daddy, please, can I have a drink of water? The dad could see that he wasn't getting anywhere. So he said, son, if I hear one more sound, out of that room, I'm going to smack you. You could hear a pin drop. The silence was thick for about a minute. Then he heard, Daddy, when you come in here to smack me, would you bring me a drink of water? <laughs> now the dad understood that his son really was thirsty. Why? Because he was boldly persistent in his request. Jesus says in verse 13, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who seek him? 
This verse is important because it reminds us not to use our prayers for our own selfish desires. Too often Christians will read, ask and it will be given to you and interpret it to mean I can ask for anything I want regardless of its eternal value. When Jesus says that God the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, he is reminding us that our asking, seeking and knocking are in the context of his name being hallowed, his coming kingdom, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, his provision of daily bread, his forgiveness of sins and his protection in temptation. Our receiving from God must be understood that he will give his children what they need, even if it isn't what they think they need. Jesus tells Christians to pray shamelessly and with confidence, drawing near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Hebrews 4.16. Jesus tells Christians to pray persistently and remember that God will give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. Luke 18.7. Jesus tells Christians to pray expectantly and trust that every good gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James 1.17. So people, pray shamelessly, persistently, expectantly to your good Father God who delights in answering the prayers of his children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us deeper and deeper into prayer. Lord, that we may come to you with all our problems and Lord, know that you will provide an answer. You never leave us.